0: This morning uh, we gather together with a lot of emotion. Uh, Transitions are always difficult. Change is never easy. And yet Margie and I are so excited to uh, share with you in two weeks kind of our journey of faith and trust in God and our firm conviction that God has wonderful things in store for the future uh, for all of us including Foothills Church family. But this morning, we gather to celebrate the greatest story ever told. And I, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, the second chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 8 through 14. Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for just the blessings of being a uh, in relationship to you because of what happened two thousand years ago we thank you for the blessings of that that we will forever be worshiping and celebrating who you are and what you've done for us and so this morning i pray that you would open our hearts to uh the good news again uh, with fresh eyes to look at the the story the familiar story that we've heard so many times before but this morning we ask that you'd speak to us in a way lord that uh maybe we've never heard before that you would um change our hearts, continue to mold and shape us into the image of Jesus. And so we uh, commit this time to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, watching over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause a great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. What did they really see on that very first Christmas evening? What did the angels really see? What did the shepherds really see? Have you ever noticed that what you see determines what you do? Perception changes everything. Someone once said that often the difference between success and failure, between life and death, is the direction we're looking. What do you see? Haddon Robinson once pointed out, in any given situation, what you are determines what you see, and what you see determines what you do. Perception changes everything. For example, maybe you thought you sprained your ankle and you tried to play the game anyway, and afterwards you found out it was broken. If you had known that, you would not have played the game. Perception changes everything. A friend of mine was driving in England on the wrong side of the road, or in our situation, the right side of the road, and he didn't realize it until he suddenly saw a semi coming at him, and he was about to crash headlong into it when he swerved and went back into the right lane, or the left lane. (laughs) Perception changes everything. What you see determines what you do. What did the shepherds really see on that first Christmas night? What did the angels see? What do you see? Let me illustrate. It's not really a Christmassy story, but I shared uh, before the day that I almost drowned. I shouldn't be here today. I was 25 years old, and I decided one morning to go to the beach. I wanted to to do some body surfing, and when I got there, it was too early for the sunshine, and the beach was overcast with kind of a coastal fog, and nobody else was there that morning. I had the beach to myself, and I felt like I had the whole the whole ocean to myself. Nobody was anywhere. Even the lifeguards were not on duty that morning, but I noticed the surfing conditions were great. The waves were perfect and so I decided to head on out and unfortunately within 10 minutes I was being pulled out to sea by a riptide. The waves were crashing down on my head and I realized I was in deep trouble. Immediately what I did is I started swimming toward shore. I was a pretty good swimmer and I swam with all my might to get back to the shore. I was out way out over my head. Again it was pulling me out further and further And uh, the waves were just overwhelming me and dragging me under. And trying to catch my breath, I saw that those perfect waves from the shore were now my worst enemy. And after about 15 minutes, I was absolutely exhausted. I was coughing up water. I was beginning to panic. Nobody was around. Now, I had always heard that if you try to fight a riptide, you will die, (laughs) you will lose. But I had not heeded that warning. And so as I drifted out further and further, I was feeling weaker and weaker, and I realized, I'm going to drown. Nobody was in the water. The beaches were totally empty. The lifeguards weren't around. I was in deep bandini. I thought about yelling, but I I knew nobody was going to hear me. I was absolutely powerless. I was being carried out by the current and realizing that my my wife and children were were probably going to have a funeral. I desperately not, try not to panic. I, I knew I was going down, and I started praying really hard. And then suddenly I heard a splash behind me, and this head pops up. This guy says, hey, you need some help. <laughs> it was a lifeguard who I found out later had just come on duty. He looked out over this empty ocean and saw this one little head bobbing out there about 150 yards and decided maybe I should swim out there and investigate, see if this guy needs any help. He told me to grab onto this red flotation device that was hooked onto a harness around his, his shoulders, and he said, just hang onto this. And I looked at him and said, you know what, nah, that's okay. I got this. I swam away and I drowned. No, that's not what happened. I hung onto that red flotation device with, as if my life depended upon it because it did. Like a powerboat, this lifeguard does a backstroke with both of us running, you know, he just Went parallel to the shore for a while until we got out of that riptide and then he came on uh, to the beach. All I had to do was hang on for the ride. I learned something very critical that day perception changes everything. It turned out that the waves were not all that fun, the ocean was not all that safe, the shore was not all that close. Perception changes everything. In fact, I learned that if you try to go with what your feelings tell you, you what your gut tells you, to just go the, the shortest distance between two points and, and swim hard towards shore, you're going to lose. You will die. Proverbs 14.12 says, There's a way that seems right to a man. It makes sense. But its end is the way of death. If you think for yourself, you try to do it your own way, you're not going to make it. God says, If you come to me, If you take my red flotation device of salvation, so to speak, that I'm offering you, uh, you will live. It's between life and death. You see, that's the the gracious gift that is the very core of what the Christmas message is all about. Will you take that red flotation device that God offers you, that gift that he has given to us 2,000 years ago? Let me ask you a question this morning. When you look at Christmas, what do you see? Because again, perception changes everything. Some of you might see on, on Christmas the, the twinkle in your children's eyes or your grandkids, or you, you see the beauty of the tree, you see the, the lights around the neighborhood or at the mall. But let me ask you, is that all you see? Because again, perception is everything. Some of you this uh, holiday season might have a different perspective. You might see things a little bit differently. Maybe what you see at Christmas time is stress and anxiety and maybe even depression. The bills are bigger than the bank account. (laughs) You have a family that's coming over, and you're excited to see some of them, but others, well, they're kind of a piece of work. There's always crazy Uncle Louie, and you're not sure you really want to endure this. And the kids are home for a whole two weeks. And all the stress that's involved in cleaning the house and cooking the turkey and getting all the festivities together, and it makes you wonder if you're going to make it this year. Let me ask you, is that all you see? Because perception changes everything. For others of you, Christmas might be a time of incredible sadness. You're alone this year. You had somebody with you last Christmas, but this year, uh, they're not with you. Maybe this is the first Christmas where your kids are going to celebrate two Christmases, one with you and one with your ex. Maybe it's a season where you're entering into a new year, a different different career, and, and there's uncertainty in that. And maybe this Christmas is just a sad season for you. It's difficult. But let me ask you, is that all you see? Because perception changes everything. This morning, I, wa- I want you to look at Christmas a little bit differently. I want you to look at it through fresh eyes. And I would love for you to see Christmas not only the way that Jesus' mother Mary saw it and her father his father. I, I, I would love for you to see not just the way the shepherds saw it or the magi saw it, but I would like you to see Christmas the way heaven saw it. That might seem kind of strange, but I'm convinced that if you saw the way If you saw it the way heaven saw it, you would respond the way heaven responded. How did heaven respond? I mean, perception changes everything. Let's look at that passage again through fresh eyes this morning. Verse 14 of chapter 2. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. What do you think of when you think of a heavenly host? (laughs) A heavenly host, I think oftentimes in our minds, we kind of picture this heavenly host as sort of a bunch of angels, kind of sweet, angelic, a little choir of cherubs. You know, we we picture feminine-like creatures. We see them in paintings and pictures and on on Christmas cards. The cute little wings and, and, and golden halos and flowing robes. And they float around a lot and they sing a lot. But in reality, that word host is basically a military term. It has to do with fighting. It has to do with waging war. In other words, this was the very impressive, angelic, mighty army of God. Thousands, maybe tens of thousands that that filled up the heavens that night. And every single angel was a powerful, awe-inspiring, magnificent creature. I mean, think of the Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger, not, not Danny DeVito, okay? An angel of God is so incredibly impressive, in fact, that when the Apostle John came face-to-face with an angel in the book of Revelation, it says he fell down on the ground, he planted his face in the dirt, and began to worship. He thought it was God himself. The angel realized what he was doing, kind of picked him up, basically, and said, Hey, knock that off. Worship only God. You're going to get us both into trouble. And that's kind of the response. God's angels are a fearsome and magnificent a uh, group of, of creatures, and we're told that it only took one angel in the Old Testament, one angel, to wipe out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. No wonder these, No wonder these shepherds were so terrified. Can you imagine? Thousands filling up the heavens above you. And the Bible says that they weren't really singing. We always think angels were out there singing. No, they were shouting. I want you to think of a thousand Marines yelling at the top of their lungs in unison, glory to God in the highest, glory to God in the highest, over and over and over again. It was a shout of thundering praise. It probably shook the earth. It was praise for what their commander in chief, God Almighty, had done. What did he do? He revealed himself to us. God was was providing salvation for us and he He did it by becoming one of us. And the angels of heaven just burst out in thundering praise. They were overwhelmed. They couldn't believe it. If you could see what heaven saw, you would respond the way heaven responded. What did heaven see? You know what heaven saw? They saw the answer to your prayers. They saw the majestic answer to the human condition. They saw the eternal solution to all of our problems in the dark and dying world in which we live. I don't know what you see this Christmas, but I'm convinced that if you could see it the way heaven saw it, you would respond the way heaven responded. Strangely enough, heaven basically celebrated harder and louder than anyone else that night. You see, why is that? You see, for centuries, the people had cried out, where is God? Where is God in all of this? For centuries, people were looking at all the violence and the hatred and the bitterness and the broken relationships and the war and the famine and the pain, and they were saying, where is God in all of this? Why does he seem so absent? Now God has certainly broken through history at times. We see that in the Old Testament. God time and time again broke into history in time and space and revealed himself. He, he showed his, in a powerful way, demonstrated his love and his grace and his mercy to his people. And the people just kept on responding back in rebellion and, and in defiance against him. And, and, and yet God continued to reach out in grace and mercy and love in the middle of it all. Somewhere, these people were thinking, something's missing. What's wrong with this picture? It wasn't complete. And maybe you're feeling that way this morning. God's people had as many questions as answers, as much uh, hurt as hope. What do you see? What do you see? When you look over your life at the heartache and the fracturing and the struggle, it just doesn't seem complete. Something's missing. Maybe your story is a, a one of incredible success. Everything has gone right for you. you you're, you're, you're kind of basking in this. Everything's up, up and to the right, and, and yet something is still missing. You're still wondering, is this all there is? Is this as good as it gets? And you're sort of afraid that maybe the answer is yes. You've tasted success, and it kind of has left a bitter aftertaste. And you're wondering, what else is there to this life? Well, in this first Christmas, heaven rejoiced. We see tens of thousands of angels filling up the entire night sky, shouting praise to God and announcing good news to the world. It was a tremendous, thundering ovation of celebration and joy. Why? Because this was God's plan of salvation. This was God's only plan of salvation. This was plan A. There was no plan B. It's as though all of heaven had been waiting for all of eternity for this one moment, for God to break in and Do something uh, powerful and to act as he did in and through Jesus Christ. Again, this was God's plan of salvation. It's the only plan that he had. This was it. And all of heaven burst out in celebration and rejoicing. Do you know that survey showed that less less than half or nearly half of all Christians today do not believe that? The common attitude today is basically, listen, all roads lead to Rome. It doesn't make any difference what you believe, just believe it. It's all good. We're all going to make it. Don't sweat it. That's their perception. And it changes everything as to how they respond to this gift that God gave us 2,000 years ago. I mean, if if a man or a woman is a sincere Jew or a passionate Buddhist or a zealous Muslim, that's good. That's good enough, right? They have faith. A Muslim and a Jew, they believe in God. I mean, what's the problem? They all have faith. Why do we say that Jesus is God's only provision for us? I mean, come on. Let me give you just kind of a mental picture. Let me go back to that illustration I shared before. Imagine I'm out there, I'm caught in that riptide, and there is no lifeguard that shows up. I'm out there, I'm going further and further. I'm getting weaker and weaker, and I know that I'm going down. And suddenly, (laughs) a, a, a... life jacket kind of floats on by, out of nowhere. I put my faith, I put my trust in that life jacket. I put it on as quick as I can. The problem is there's a big gapping hole in that life jacket. I end up drowning in spite of my faith. I put my faith in it, but I drown anyway. Why? Because the object I put my faith in wasn't able to do for me what I needed it to do. You see, faith doesn't save. It's faith in the right object that saves. In fact, it's not enough just to believe in God. Did you know that? James chapter 2 says, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and tremble. In other words, so what? (laughs) That's not saving faith. What's saving faith? Saving faith is trusting, clinging to, relying upon Jesus Christ as your only red flotation device. It's your only way of salvation. That's it. It is faith in Christ that saves, because Christ alone saves. That's the message of Christmas. That's why he came 2,000 years ago. In grabbing that life jacket, I I put my faith in the wrong object. You can have a sincerity of faith. You, You can be sincerely wrong. You might have the best of intentions. You might have put out the best effort ever. You might have the purest of motives, but be as lost as you can be. Why? Because you put your faith in the wrong object. There are so many today who try to experience God and and find salvation their own way. People try anything today. They, They go into humanism or moral living or religiosity or mysticism or the occult or philosophy. Anything and everything except for Jesus Christ. And they seem at first glance to have lofty goals. They have pure motives. They are zealous, right? They're sincere with good intentions. But you've heard the old adage the pathway to hell is paved with good intentions good intentions are obviously not good enough again proverbs 14 12 there is a way that seems right it makes sense but its end is the way of death it seems right it seems logical it appears to be a shortcut i thought hey just head to shore right that makes sense seems like a good way to go but the bible makes it very clear you either come god's way or you don't come at all all roads do not lead to Rome there are no other shortcuts there's no other option than what God has graciously given to us as that wonderful gift the gift of his son 2,000 years ago that's what the Christmas message is all about and that's why the angels are thundering their praise and joy to the one true and living God the birth of this baby is God's only answer and it's sufficient it's enough so who is Jesus Christ only Christians believed him to be God himself, incarnate, God in a bod, God came in, f- in flesh. And that's a huge distinction from any other religion or cult out there. We hold the conviction of the exclusive truth claim that Jesus made when he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so all religions are not the same. And so all religions cannot be true. For example, you can say two plus two equals four, or two plus two equals five, but they both can't be true. There is an ultimate truth, there's an ultimate reality. No matter how sincere, no matter how zealous, no matter how passionate you might be about two plus two equals five, you're wrong. (laughs) For example, if you sincerely believe that a train that you're on is going to New Orleans, but instead it's actually going to San Francisco, all your sincerity, all your faith is not gonna make any difference at all. It doesn't help a bit. Jesus Christ said he's the only way, the only way. That gift that came 2,000 years ago was God's only provision for each and every one of us. Jesus clearly tells us there are no other parachutes, there are no other life preservers, there's no other lifeboats. Now some might say, well that sounds kinda narrow, that sounds kinda bigoted, that sounds kind of intolerant. (laughs) But guess what? I didn't say that. Jesus said that. He said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Luke adds in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, And there is salvation in no one else. No one else. For there is no other name under heaven, no other name, that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And so as a Christian, I have no option than to say that as well. He's the only way. It's a question of epistemology. What's real? What's true? And so, really, heaven, God's heavenly perspective is really all that matters. And so, when you see Christmas, what do you see? You know, we know that 33 years after that beautiful birth in a manger, 33 years later comes the ugly horror of his death on a cross. And so, you know, what I see at Christmas time. When I look at a, that familiar manger scene, it's all uh, kind of warm and, and it's, it, the light is glowing and you see Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus in that, in that manger and it's that beautiful evening with the star above and the animals and it looks so peaceful. What I see is the ugly shadow of the cross because that's what Christmas is really all about. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's why he came. Primarily the reason Jesus was born was to die. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust. Why? In order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. See, that's the Christmas message, reconciliation with God. That's what it's all about. Just before he went to the cross, Jesus was in a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's a real troubling scene. I mean, he's there, he's he's praying in anguish. Great drops of blood are coming down from his forehead. And he's praying this prayer in deepest uh, despair and, and, and desperation. And he says to the Father this He says, If it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. In other words, if it's possible, I don't want to experience this cup. What's the cup? The cup refers to the suffering and the death that he's about ready to go through. Basically, Jesus is about to go through something that is far more than just a physical uh, death. He's going to become the object of God's wrath. You see, the, the word cup in the Old Testament refers to God's divine anger, his wrath. And God the Father is going to pour upon him all the punishment, more than just the physical. He's going to pour upon him all the punishment that you and I deserve, that all the world deserves. He's going to pour out his divine wrath upon Jesus who's hanging on that cross. 1 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ died. He paid the penalty so that you and I wouldn't have to. Praise God for that. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust. Why? In order that he might bring us to God. You know, when Jesus fell on his face in that garden, he prayed that anguished prayer, crying out to God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. What What was he really saying? What was he really saying? He was saying basically, Father, if there's any other way for sins to be forgiven, I don't want to go through this. If there's any other way that you can pardon sin without me having to go to the cross and experience all that you're going to pour out upon me, I don't want to do this. But God the Father said, no, there is no other way. This is it. There's no other way. If there was, the Father would not have put the Son through the hell that he went through on that cross. You see, if we say that it's possible for there there to be other ways to God and salvation, then we make what Christ did in suffering and dying on that cross an absolute waste. If it's possible that our sins can be forgiven through Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism or transcendental meditation or whatever, then what Jesus did on the cross was an absolute waste. If it's possible that our sins can be forgiven by just being nice and doing good deeds then it depends upon us, then what Jesus did on the cross was an absolute waste. If it's possible that our sins can be forgiven by going to church every Sunday and giving and serving and doing all the things that a good Christian does, if if that's what our salvation is based upon, then what Jesus did on the cross was an absolute waste. Why did he even come 2,000 years ago? Didn't need to. And the terrible anguish that he went through on the cross for our sins was not really necessary. because Because there's other ways of salvation, right? Wrong. There isn't which is why he absolutely had to go through what he went through. He was born 2000 years ago primarily to die. We don't think about that much at Christmas time, do we? We don't think about Easter at Christmas, and yet the two are inseparably linked. Jesus was the only perfect sacrifice. He alone alone could atone for our sins. Hebrews 10:12 says this, but he offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. That's you and I. One time. And so by his suffering and death on a cross, he has saved you and I from eternal destruction. Because of sin and death. A crisis, eternity, and hell forever. That's why those angels were thundering praise and ovation to God the Father who provided the way. The only way. That's what Christmas is all about. That's heaven's perspective. That's what the angels saw. And if we could see what the angels saw, if we could see what heaven saw, we would respond the way heaven responded. Perception changes everything in your response to the Savior. You know, as a believer, I think it's so easy for us to kind of forget what it's all about. It's so easy to forget what Christmas is really all about. And it's all about salvation. It's about reconciliation with God. It's not just about giving Christmas presents to one another on December 25th. It's a salvation from eternal death to eternal life. Our only alternative, our only option, is to trust Him as our Lord, our Savior, our King, to surrender everything we have, everything we are to Him. That's our only response to the fantastic, gracious, and eternal gift that He gave to us 2,000 years ago. But you know, we don't make it by default. It's a choice, and we talked about this before. John 1.12 says, But as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. You know, it's, that's, it's not always a, a message that's uh, positively received by those around us, at Christmas time, especially, but let me encourage you. Keep praying for those around you that are in desperate need of a Savior. Keep presenting our, our Lord and Savior and King as the only option, the only way. And someone asks you hey uh, how's your christmas it's great you know why it's so wonderful jesus came as the only option we have from salvation salvation from what salvation from death itself eternal so pray for those around you share the good news of jesus christ with with those around you especially at christmas time so what do you see at christmas what do you see you just see the gifts and you see the tree you see the meals and the busy rush. Maybe you see the stress and the overwhelming anxiety. Maybe you see the sadness and the emptiness and the loss. But listen, like the old Christmas carol says, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And that's what heaven saw, and that's what heaven, how heaven responded. And this morning, I'm inviting you to respond as well. You need to respond. Because if you could see what heaven saw, I'm convinced you would respond the way heaven responded. Will you respond? Will you take that gift if you haven't if you've never taken uh, him into your heart and life? I'm inviting you to get beyond the the busyness and all the sadness and the chaos and the emptiness and all the all the stuff that distracts us from the greatest message ever. How do we respond? How do we three three easy steps? A, B, C. Simple. Number one, admit your need. You're a sinner. Admit the fact that you're out there and uh, you're being pulled out (laughs) by a riptide. There's no hope. You're in desperate need of a Savior. Admit the fact that you're a sinner. Most people don't have a problem with that. B is believe. Believe and trust in what Christ has done in dying on the cross for your sin. Believe that. And C, confess. That's the most important. Confess Him as your Lord and Savior confess him as the one who you are surrendering your entire life to. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, what's that mean, Lord? That means he's the boss. He's the one in the driver's seat. He's the one that's taking over my life. If you confess that and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, in other words, he is who he claims to be. He has power over death because he is God. If you do that, you will be saved. Why? Because with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Let's pray together. Father God, this morning, I ask that you would speak to our hearts. And if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you, Lord, that they would surrender. They would come to a place where you would open, your, open their eyes and help them to know how desperate they are in need of a Savior. Father, I pray that you'd prompt that person this morning who's here to, to give up to surrender their life to you, to embrace Jesus Christ as their, their Lord and Savior. Help each of us during this Christmas time to really remember and to celebrate what you have done and who you are. Help us not to get caught up in all the busyness of the season, but really in the business of what you have done, and that is through Jesus Christ our Lord, provide a salvation now and forever that we also desperately need. So, Father, we thank you, we praise you for this, this time. Open our hearts, open our lives. Help us, Lord, to be bold. To be bold during the Christmas season with our friends and family as we gather around the table and as we celebrate Christmas. Father, help us to, to just say the things that need to be said with a smile on our face and with a joy in our heart to celebrate Jesus, because it's all about him. If we lift him up, all men will be drawn to him. And so, Father, that's our goal, is to lift up the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And it's in his name we pray and all God's children said.